Hey, it's James Kotecki from CES Tech Talk here to tell you that registration for the world's most powerful tech event is now open. What event is that? You know what event it is. Come on, the greatest minds, the most powerful brands, the most impactful technology, it all comes together at CES 2024. So discover the tech-defining AI, transportation, startups, smart cities, digital health, and solutions for a better, more sustainable planet. Register now at ces.tech, all together, all in, all on. This is CES Tech Talk. I'm James Kotecki. The world's most powerful tech event, CES 2024, brings the future to Las Vegas January 9th through 12th. And today, we preview the future of business. And that's a big topic. And we've got a big guest today to tackle it. Paul Doherty is the Chief Technology and Innovation Officer at Accenture, the professional services firm where over 730,000 employees are building the future of business around the world. I looked it up. That's about the population of Denver, Colorado, by the way. So it's a pretty big deal. And getting Paul's take on the topics of today and tomorrow should give us a good roadmap for CES 2024 and the future as a whole. So no pressure, Paul, but there is a lot riding on this conversation. Welcome <laughs> to the show. So glad to have you. No, great. Uh, great to be here. And we're really looking forward to CES. It's going to be a, an amazing session as always. Absolutely. And you're the chief technology and innovation officer at an important company like Accenture. What does that actually mean? What do you what do you do all day? Are you getting into the trenches on anything? Are you just sitting up on a cloud kind of observing and managing people? Like how how do you actually spend your time? Yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating job, and I think I have one of the uh, one of the best jobs uh, that there is. It's a, it's a really a lot of fun, and it's a great position from which to both look at technology uh, and look at uh, businesses and industries around the world, and uh, look at how they you know, navigate to their future. And there's kind of a, a phrase I've been using for a while to talk about how we think about technology and how it's impacting business. And there's really two key truths that I talk about. The first truth is that exponential technology innovation is continuing and accelerating, hence new innovations like uh, generative AI that, that come at us so fast as it has. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that. And that'll be all over CES. Uh, but the second, you know, the second truth is that every business is becoming a technology business because these, these advances in technology aren't just about the back office or parts of an enterprise like it used to be for information technology. Techno this exponential technology is reshaping every part of every business, transforming the way businesses operate, transforming the way you know consumers can get goods and services. And that's what's super exciting. So my job is to marry up the two of these, is to look at where is technology heading? And you know what does that mean for business? So I spend a lot of my time with the leading technology companies and innovators and venture capitalists and investors around the world to understand where technology is headed and you know, universities and others as well. And I spend then a lot of time with the you know, C-suites and boards and, and others at, uh, at businesses around the world to understand you know, their challenges and how they, how they address them. And I think about my job in three categories. It's about our, our clients, our, our people, and our partners. Our clients is work that I do to help our clients uh, innovate. A large company I'm uh, working with right now, a large consumer company on uh, adopting advanced digital manufacturing practices powered by AI, robotics, and other technologies to transform their, their manufacturing and make it more resilient and more personalized to their consumers. Uh, so that's our clients. With our people, it's about 
you know, my job, we have 730,000 people. That's an amazing resource to tap for innovation. So, you know, so it's about connecting with the best ideas from our people, from our people, with our partners, as I said earlier, that's it's it's we are the leading partner with most of the technology companies and institutions around the world. So uh, we can collect and be, you know, the vehicle to get those best ideas and channel them to our customers. And how do you balance all of these things together in one uh, human lifespan and one human work week, right? Because I imagine that in your role, you could be doing, you could probably make a case for doing nothing but reading and learning and absorbing and trying to understand this. You could be talking to clients all the time. You could be talking to partners and employees. So how, how do you, uh, how do you keep your sanity? I guess I'm, I guess I'm trying to ask because what you're doing stretches over to so many different categories that are covered by CES and the Consumer Technology Association. And on this podcast, we're trying to absorb and understand it all. And here we have you whose job it kind of is to figure it out and understand it all and make some practical uh, value out of all of this. So how do you stay sane? <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a good question. Well, first of all, I, I just love uh, this stuff. So th- this is my passion, yeah. my hobby, in addition to my uh, to my profession. So I'm fortunate to have that that alignment. This is just kind of what I do. Uh, but it's it's also about having an amazing team and set of resources and, and capabilities that we've set up uh, across Accenture. So uh, within Accenture, I've one of the the organizations uh, that we have is our R and D organization called Accenture Labs. Uh, which has been around for 30 years and has an amazing track record. Uh, it's it's you know, PhDs and researchers located uh, in key spots all over the world looking at technologies and, and uh, you know, charting out how they're going to be applied to business in the future. Uh, we have a uh, also a, a venture uh, capital uh, arm we've set up called Accenture Ventures uh, that's out there talking to early stage companies and uh, we take positions so we can learn from the innovators and early stage companies uh, as they go as well. So that's a key you know, capability uh, that we have out there. And then it's uh, innovation teams and what we call our, our innovation hubs and innovation uh, centers all around the world who are, who are doing those day-to-day discussions with clients. So we're learning from the new problems that are coming up. We're learning about how to apply new technologies. So the way I maintain sanity, I guess, is, is by having an amazing team and a network and a fabric. We actually call it our innovation architecture of how we pull all this together and then assimilate and um, and uh, collate, you know, to get to the real trends and uh, and actions that we need to yeah. take. So I think we've established that you're in a great position to speak broadly about a vision for the future of technology. And in fact, Accenture has this annual, uh, I believe it's a report called the Technology Vision. You mentioned generative AI, you mentioned this idea of exponential uh, increase of technology and innovation and the pervasiveness uh, throughout the business community and around the world. Um, What other pieces of this technology vision are on the table right now for Accenture? What's the vision? You know, one way of looking at it is, um, you know, is uh, is the journey that companies are on. The title of our vision ten years ago uh, was "Every business is a digital business." That was ten years ago, mm. 2013. Wow. And a more innocent time, time, to be sure. Yeah, yeah. And at the time, times. I, I spent a lot of that year defending it. I'd go to companies and they'd say, "That's crazy. Our industry, our business won't isn't digital." And uh, but quickly, digital became you know, became the driving force for companies. And they're still on that journey. You know, most companies, you know, comp- everybody had embraced that idea, by the way. Everybody, everybody does believe their digital business has been on that journey. But most have a lot of work to still do to become, you know, truly digital. So, you know, companies are only on general, on average, I should say, 40% in the cloud right now. If you look at enterprise workloads, 40% in the cloud, only half of those really modernized to take advantage of the cloud. So there's a lot of work when you look at, you know, kind of vision of what companies need to do, a lot of work 
left to do and think, you know, things that may seem more basic, but are relatively new also, like, like uh, cloud computing to really take advantage of it. And then generative AI is obviously the new kid on the block. We've been deploying AI solutions for clients for almost two decades. So AI isn't new, you know, AI for visual video technology to identify defects in manufacturing plants. We've been doing that kind of thing for years, as an example, or, you know, forecasting the retail demand, uh, based on predictive data patterns and machine learning algorithms. So AI isn't new, but uh, but generative AI is a step change and an amazing new capability that allows us to do, you know, to create, you know, uh, new content, whether it be images or language or what have you. And it's mastered language and the ability to converse and, uh, and interact with us as humans in a more human way. And that's really at the foundation of some of the things we'll be talking about at CES this year. This idea that exponential technology is now becoming more human is actually a great thing. For some, it becomes scary, but I, I would argue it's the best thing for human p- potential and human productivity you know, that we've, we've seen to date in the digital revolution. So that's very exciting. If you look at other trends you know, that we're looking at, we're doing a lot of work around quantum right now as an example. We think quantum uh, uh, you know, has some interesting applications today, although the, the big general breakthroughs are a little bit off still. We're doing a lot of work around various space technologies, uh, space-oriented technologies that work a little differently and have uh, application as you look to the, the, the next frontier or the final frontier of space and uh, many other areas. But those, that just gives yeah. you a flavor for it. We've talked about AI on this podcast with other guests before. We've talked about space with other guests before. And I'd love to get into both of those topics with you right. on this interview as well. But I want to make sure we cover quantum computing because I don't think I've spoken to a guest on that about this uh, about this topic on this season of the podcast or any of the season of the podcast, I think. So uh, can you explain a little bit about the current state of quantum computing? It's always kind of seemed like this sci-fi concept. The value is you know just around the corner and folks are working on it. What is actually practical right now or kind of in the foreseeable future there? Yeah, we've been uh, doing R&D and quantum computing for over eight, eight years now, probably probably closer to 10 years. And we've been doing uh, some applied uh, projects with clients as well. The the quantum computing in terms, you know, the, the, the big breakthrough people talk about is quantum supremacy, when quantum computing can generally uh, surpass all the capabilities of classical computing that we use today. And that is still a ways, a ways off you know, in terms of quantum supremacy. But that, that doesn't mean that quantum isn't relevant today. It is, and it can be used to solve some problems today. There's two broad dimensions of where we see quantum being applicable today. The first is in cryptography and security. Uh, at some point, quantum algorithms will be able to break today's RSA-based encryption. And that means that companies today need to be readying themselves for post-quantum cryptography and uh, those that follow these things will know the White, uh, the White House, the U.S. government issued an executive order about preparedness of federal agencies for uh, post-quantum uh, cryptography. And that's creating you know, uh, work for us to help government agencies and some leading clients who are concerned about these things uh, prepare themselves. The way to think about it is the bad guys have a treasure trove of stuff they can't yet decrypt, uh, but once they can decrypt it, they've got the gold mine. So how do you better, uh, better you know, secure your documents today so they can't be unlocked in the future? So that's one application uh, that's that's out there. A second is that there's certain problems that can be modeled much better by quantum algorithms. Uh, there's problems we've seen in material science, problems we've seen in drug discovery, where quantum algorithms, uh, you know, are problems modeled in a, you know, in a quantum way can be solved more effectively, partially by quantum computers, but also by quantum simulators 
in, uh, in the cloud. For example, we've done work uh, with one of the large cloud companies to model the chemical bonds of what's called PFAS. PFAS are the plastics that don't decompose that lead to some of the contamination in the oceans. Very difficult to break those bonds. But we did a quantum simulation. We modeled the problem using quantum. Quantum computers aren't ready to fully solve the algorithm, although they can solve a, sm a small piece of it. And then we solve the rest of the problem using a million cores of, uh, on, a, on a hyperscaler of classical computing, but operating on a quantum algorithm. So that idea of modeling problems in a quantum way, solving part of it using quantum and solving the rest using classical computing opens up uh, new ways of solving problems. Um, I really can't get past the really cool name Quantum Supremacy as a potential Netflix series or maybe a <laughs> title of a novel that uh, that you can go to work on, but you already have plenty of things on your plate. Um, uh, you know, speaking of science fiction kind of becoming real, obviously we, we do want to get deeper into AI. You mentioned you're going to be talking about it at CES. Um, you, you seem optimistic and excited about the ways that generative AI is playing out. Um, what are some of the ways that you see it playing out either inside Accenture from a day-to-day -day perspective, from how employers are using it, how your clients are using it? Are there some interesting generative AI applications that you can highlight for us? Yeah, I mean, generative AI, just to put it in context, I, we are big believers in the impact of generative AI. It is a massive you know, breakthrough that unlocks new capability. And, and we believe it will lead to the reinvention of business. It'll redefine the leaders in each industry. Those that adopt it will be in a different position, kind of like you know, digital and other technologies have. And uh, we do also believe it really is a fundamental enabler of greater human potential and productivity. And, uh, and I'll talk about uh that a little bit uh, as I talk about some of the examples. So we're using it uh, in Accenture, you know, in our company today already. We've got a uh, a large language model that we use for knowledge access within our company. Yeah, used by over a hundred thousand employees very effectively to access uh, uh, access information in ways they couldn't before. And for us, yeah. that's massive. A seven hundred thousand person organization. If you can make it easier to access information to better solve client problems, that's a that's big for us and it's big for many other So it's kind of like the Accenture hive mind, so to speak. You're kind of all yeah. being able to tap into it. Exactly. Think about it like that. And it's for all sorts of information that might help you in serving a client, but also information about how to access my benefits and things like that, that, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes right. the big companies are a little, a little hard to do. We've taken that same type of idea to an energy company and the application they wanted was, it was how do they in increase, increase their safety practices, uh, which is you know, massive focus in industries like that. Very effective application of, a, a, in their case, again, a large language model, generative AI, providing people with better information on real-time events happening that might cause safety conditions combined with all the environmental health and safety and regulatory information so that they could operate better and more safely on a day-to-day -day basis. So like real, real benefits of uh, things that you can do uh, today. So we, we see it uh, uh, going in a two-speed manner. Um, that's the way we talk about it with companies. Think about two speeds. The first speed are what are the things you can do today that are you know relatively safe, you know that you can do with today's technology because the technology is very, very early. It's important to say that with generative AI. Yeah. Um, and you can do it in a cost-effective manner. That's speed one, some of the things I talked about. It might also be using the capabilities of existing products, using Einstein GPT from Salesforce or ServiceNow's uh, uh, agents they've rolled out or SAP as they roll out their jewel you know, uh, generative AI capability. So you can use the capabilities uh, that are there today. The, the second speed or Microsoft, you know, another one is, you know, co-pilots through Microsoft or uh, Google, uh, you know, Google's uh, you know, technology for the same. So a lot of potential for that. 
Then the second speed is what's the game changer in your industry? And this is where we're spending a lot of time with senior executives at companies to look at if you're a life sciences company, where's the game, where's the game changer? And for them, it's can I reduce the time uh, to market for a new drug from seven years to one year or to six months? And they see opportunities to do that, not necessarily overnight, but using information in new ways, new generative AI models around biology to better understand the pathology of what's happening, new you know, generative AI models around chemistry to understand the molecule match to solve that condition, generative AI models around people in clinical trials to better diagnose results and improve the uh, you know the trials process. So that's an example um, of what will be you know kind of raising it up to the higher gear, that strategic differentiation for companies. It might be the underwriting and claims processes in an insurance company. It might be the wealth management and investment processes in a, in a bank. Uh, and we're seeing a lot of focus in helping clients at the early stages of these more game-changing applications. Wow. There's <sighs> so much to think about uh, and so much impact that this is going to have on the world of business and the global economy. I, I'm always curious from the individual perspective on how people think about these technologies as far as how it reshapes their own understanding of their brains and their own creativity and their own kind of human spark that they bring to projects. And the argument goes something like, you know, well, look, obviously right now, ChatGPT is, is not quite as good as a human and you still need a human to polish it and prompt it and you still need to give it feedback and, and tweak it, et cetera. And over time, though, these models are going to become better and better and, and more and more uh, creative, or at least they're going to feel like they're creative, whether or not they actually are is maybe a philosophical debate. But how are you seeing uh, these kinds of questions? And, and wh what do you think about this idea of humans needing to maybe redefine their relationship to what it means to be creative? And I, I guess to get philosophical, what it means to be human? Yeah, I think that's that's the paradox of this, uh, is that the technology is becoming more human-like. And I think so at least people think, well, it's going to it's going to replace me in everything I do. Uh, the reality is, is again, we believe it's 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 much more often augmented, you know, than than replaced, because the human-like technology means you can use it in different ways uh, and be more effective. We see this an example of this in uh, in an application we did for a, a very large multinational bank. We used a, a GPT model in their um, in their uh, post-trade settlement process. This is a highly manual processes where you need you, know, you need to read a lot of emails and look at transaction exceptions and as uh, you're, you're closing out uh, closing out trades and deal with a lot of anomalies. We use generative AI to understand all these emails, understand the transaction activity, and then work you know, provide it in a more digestible fashion to the humans so that they they didn't need to do the drudgery of looking at this, looking at that. They just yeah, need to yeah. use their investigative and, and uh, and uh, judgment, uh, judgment capabilities to take the right actions, increase the satisfaction of the people doing the work, made them more productive, and you know, and um, and it was a better outcome. That the, that kind of implication is what we see much more often. And, and yes, as, as things become more productive, do you need less people to do it? That'll be one implication. But in a lot of cases, companies are looking to repurpose the talent to do more. So we're uh, we're working with a, a public service agency uh, in Europe uh, that. It's also a commercial agency in this case on productivity in their in their customer service organization. They don't want to do it with less people necessarily, though. What they want to do is do more cross selling and enable their people to do more and different things than they could do mm -hmm. before to, to provide better satisfaction to the constituent constituents that they're uh, 
that you're serving. Mm-hmm. So it's a complicated yeah. question. I, I think this will Indeed. change as the technology matures. If you look out 10 years, it might, you know, it, it's, a, it's a little harder to predict maybe, but in the, in the, in, as far as we can see, we really believe this human plus machine view. And in fact, yeah. I wrote a book called Human Plus Machine mm-hmm. uh, six years ago, talking about how we saw would see this all playing out. It's, it's kind of largely on track with, uh, yeah. with that kind of view. Yeah, you, you, you nailed it with that concept. And uh, what I love about interviewing, by the way, a senior leader from Accenture is that with every question I have, you have specific examples of companies that you can actually point to as, uh, as, as real examples of what we're talking about. Um, I want to touch on a couple of other topics uh, here, and we're just going to kind of go rapid fire because we could cover so much in this conversation. And you okay. did mention space. Um, space is obviously increasingly important to what's happening on the ground. What should the average CES 2024 attendee understand? What's something interesting for them to realize about what's going on in space and how that might impact them in their industry? Well, I'll tell you, one thing I learned from uh, uh, our researchers and, and the early work we're doing in this space is a, is a way of thinking about opportunities in space. So I'd, I'd share that as maybe, you know, the, the, thing to, to th- the way to think about it. Uh, and we, th- we think about it in three categories. There's space-to-space technology, and that's, you know, things you do in space for space. So one example here is um, thinking about how mesh-based communications and even payment infrastructures might work in space. Uh, you, can, you could envision a future where with so many satellites up there where one satellite needs to c- communicate with another on collision avoidance, and there might be a financial transaction involved with that that can't be mitig- you know, mitigated uh, on Earth because of delays and such. So that's work we're actually doing with some organizations looking at things like that around space-to-space uh, interaction and communication. There's um, space to Earth, which is how do you use innovations in space to do things on Earth better? An example of this is uh, low, Earth, low Earth orbital satellites uh, that are used for much better uh, Earth-based imagery uh, than you can than you could get pr- uh, previously. Companies like Planet Labs, which is one of our Accenture Ventures uh, companies we invested in, that has tremendous governmental and business applications because they can like daily scan the planet at a pretty good level of resolution and help you, you know, help you make. Uh, lots of different uh, decisions. That's you know, space to Earth. And then there's Earth to space, which is how do you how do you make the missions more effective and get things in space in a more safe, secure, uh, cost-effective manner. Work we're doing in this case uh, uh, is uh, with one of our another one of our uh, venture companies that we invested in is is securing the satellite communications because one of the new frontiers mm-hmm. for cyber warfare is hitting the satellites. And so the satellites need to be secure because it's not as easy to dynamically update the software and uh, patches and things on the satellites. So you need to think about security in a little different way. And in fact, quantum communications and some other uh, techniques that we talked about earlier come into play in how you deal with that. And just to clarify that first example, the satellites from the space to space example, there one satellite needs to do a financial transaction with another tr- satellite. Is that as a as a condition of avoiding the collision, or just because communication costs has some kind of cost to it, and so there needs to be a financial transaction as well, just for the satellites to be able to talk that to each other. A, by the way, that was a hypothetical example. Of yeah. that, that, oh, that sure. I used there. But the, the idea there would be that that's an example of a financial transaction. You, you could envision satellites need, needing to uh, yeah needing to negotiate or other you know other space based mm. uh, devices Interesting. and vehicles needing to negotiate as you have more of them up there. Um, yeah. So obviously, we're really positive about what's going on with generative AI and its ability to uh, reshape business and work for the better. 
this technology is, is not without its risks. And I think you probably know uh, better than anyone what some of those are. So can you just talk to me a little bit about how Accenture is thinking about mitigating risks? Yeah, it's, it's, it's something that every company needs to spend time on. And uh, we have focused a lot in Accenture on responsible AI, which is how to use AI in a way that uh, avoids uh, bias and make sure the outcomes are fair. How do you use it to you know, how do you use it in a way that that's explainable where it needs to be? Because sometimes in some industries and in some processes, you need to be able to ex- explain and show your work. How do you uh, make sure you don't uh, have intellectual property or, or other uh, uh, considerations? And how do you make sure that the that hallucinations don't get in the way of the accuracy, the level of accuracy that you need? And then finally, sustainability. You know, how, uh, how do you make sure that you're not using, you know, uh, models in, in that uh, use inappropriate uh, amounts of compute and carbon and such. So that's uh, so it's really important to get a foundation in place to proactively manage that. We've got a approach to doing that at Accenture. We actually have a responsible AI compliance program that reports to our board mm-hmm. of directors on a regular basis, and we believe that that level of rigor and discipline is needed by every company as you as you move down this path. And if simple way of saying it is, if you don't have a, a rigorous responsible AI program in place in your company, it's simply irresponsible, and you'll run into trouble mm-hmm. at some point. And I would just highlight that point you said, the responsible AI folks are reporting periodically directly to the board. So obviously this is a risk that the company is is taking very seriously and, uh, and working to make sure that it's not a factor in uh, impeding the productivity gains that we all want. Exactly, yeah. Uh, I promised a rapid fire uh, conversation. So we're going to go from the universe to the metaverse. Uh, Uh, This is something I know that uh, you have uh, been thinking about. And we don't use, uh, you know, the term metaverse, I don't know if it's kind of diminished in fashion or it's gone out of vogue a bit. Last couple of CESs, I was maybe talking about it more than I expect I'll be talking about it at CES 2024. But has, has the concept gone away? Has the concept just shifted to some different language? How are you thinking about the metaverse today? Yeah, it's a great, it's a really important, question and a, a good question. Last year, our vision was titled Meet Me in the Metaverse. And I st- we stand by that. I don't think that was wrong. I think it, I think that the trends toward the, what we defined as the metaverse, we call it the metaverse continuum, which was spatial computing combined with Web3 technologies like um, distributed ledger and other types of technologies for different forms of, uh, of transactions would you know, really revolutionize uh, identity and uh, the way we interact, uh, you know, in not just a flat 2D dimension, but a third dimension with technology. I, that will come to pass. I think Apple's announcements on what they're doing with spatial computing and the headset are an example. I, I think a little bit of that is the timing you know, is, is taking longer to play out. Uh, also, generative AI came came along, and I think that uh, took a lot of the attention uh, around you know innovation and, and and where you know companies wanted to focus and driving their innovation. But I, I think the, the you know the world we live in is is three dimensions. And for our digital world to be confined to two dimensions is ridiculous. And I think that will change <laughs> as technology evolves and it will come back around. The word metaverse has a bad connotation. So we're kind of avoiding the word uh, just to avoid you know that debate. But the underlying uh, concepts we believe are still the right ones. The question is the time. Metaverse Continuum, by the way, is the sequel to Quantum Supremacy that we're going to be working <laughs> on after we finish that one. Um, let's let's talk about CES 2024 for a second. We've been alluding to it. What is Accenture going to actually be doing on the ground? How are you going to get involved? I'm so looking forward to CES this year, just because everything, it's such a dynamic, exciting, overwhelming experience every year. Uh, and I'm really excited about what we're doing uh, this year. So we'll be on, uh, for the first time, we're uh, unveiling our annual technology vision at CES. 
uh, we, we thought about it earlier in the year. We, we typically release it a little bit later. We thought about it and said, why not do it, you know, do it at CES? That's the best place to talk about trends yeah. and vision, what's happening. So I'm really excited that our, our unveil of our vision is at CES. And we're going to, uh, we'll do that on, uh, on one of the stages there. So that's very exciting uh, to me. I'm going to have some uh, surprise guests that are going to join me for that, which Ooh. I think people will love. I can't say who they are, but I think we'll have a, <laughs> okay. a really uh, a great, uh, great session there on the research stage. We also have an Accenture uh, innovation hub that we've set up. We've actually think of it as, as a pop-up of our best innovation. We're going to bring in some of the client innovation we're doing. We're going to bring in generative AI and generative AI examples and, uh, we're going to do some you know, workshops and education for people that are there too on the technology and also showcase what we're doing with a lot of our, our partners. So super excited about all that. It's just, you know, it's just uh, such a vibrant uh, experience to, that I'm really looking forward yeah. to. It. And you know CES well. Are there are if, if just can you can you pick two kind of technologies or types of companies at CES that you hope will run into each other and, and maybe do some kind of collaboration? Because CES is all about different technologies kind of collaborating and meeting up in places where they might not otherwise. I think the one, uh, health is one that I would I would maybe single out. I think there's a, such amazing opportunities for health, healthcare. And I think healthcare is, I think, a little bit behind generally in the digital revolution. And there's so much in so many ways that uh, that this, cut, this you know current wave and coming wave of technology can do to improve you know, the human condition, improve healthcare, improve the effectiveness, the cost, the access, the personalized nature of it. So I, I hope there's a lot of connections around that. And there typically is at CES, but I hope there's some real new, exciting uh, connections and developments there. Well, Paul Doherty, Chief Technology and Innovation Officer at Accenture. Thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a wide ranging and really interesting conversation. That's great. I look forward to seeing you and many others at CES very soon. Yes. We'll see you soon. And that's our show for now, but there's always more tech to talk about. So if you're joining us on YouTube, be sure to hit that subscribe button, leave a comment. And if you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartMedia, or wherever you get your podcasts, be sure to hit that follow button. You can get even more CES and prepare for Vegas at ces.tech. That's ces.tech. Our show is produced by Nicole Vitovich and Mason Manuel, recorded by Andrew Lynn and edited by Third Spoon. I'm James Kotecki, Talking Tech on CES Tech Talk.